0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Before I before I introduce uh, uh, Paul Haller, I I just w- thought I would uh, check and see how many people uh, here are graduates of the Saudi Center's uh, chaplaincy program. And how many people here are currently involved in, in prison work? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Paul, Paul Haller is the co abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center, and I'm just gonna let him say whatever else he wants to say about himself.
2: I was wondering what going
1: <laughs> was say. That that's enough, it points you out in the room.
3: I may suggest if we could uh, draw in and then maybe make two circles so we can sort of feel more connected to each other. So good morning. Nice to see some several familiar faces, um, graduates of our chaplaincy program and participants in it. Um, so Gil asked Jacques and I if we would do this day, and we said yes, and here it is. And coincidentally, Jacques and I both started in working in prisons together. We were both invited by um, someone who worked for Jill Psychiatric Services in San Francisco City in County quite a while ago. We couldn't quite figure it out, somewhere about 16 years ago. And we talked together in jail psychiatric services, and then we headed in different directions. He headed to San Quentin, and I stayed in the jails. And what we would like to offer you today is what we have learned, experienced over the years in our different involvements in the prisons and jails. Uh, And what we would also like to offer you is what you would find helpful, you know, to what degree you would like us just to bear on the more uh, intricate details of of working in prisons, what to expect, the psychodynamics that come up within those environments, what kind of meditations we've used, find helpful, find not helpful, uh, things like that. But also, I, I see the possibility today to network, you know, to, to uh, think, especially of those of you who are working in prisons or who are interested in working in prisons, you know, how can we be a resource to each other? You know, there, there, there may be value. In just sharing with each other what we're doing, um, you know, sometimes people approach me and they say, "Well, I'd really like to work in the jails, but I don't know how to go about it." And then, of course, other people are working in the jails and would love volunteers. So, so we can look at that. You know, is is there a value in in setting some collaboration? And then also, just to hear um, from you what you're doing and what support you, would be helpful for you in your immediate environment. Um, now Jacques is not going to arrive until 11 o'clock. He actually has started formally started a new program yesterday. Quite a wonderful program, a wonderful complement to the one he started at San Quentin. He's been working extensively at San Quentin and and developed an extraordinary rehabilitation program within the prison. And now he's setting up a rehabilitation program for people who have come out of the prison and that's just in its initial stages, and he just had something to do this morning that he couldn't neglect. Um, But maybe we could start this way. Maybe we could start by just going around the room, and if you could say briefly, tell us your name, say briefly what's brought you here, and maybe what your background is in prison work. And if someone would like to write down the names and take a brief note, anyone willing to do that? Sure. Thank you, Tony. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do something to write? here. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that later. Yeah. They, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll set up a, a sign-up sheet and you can, we'll do that later.
1: Okay. This is easy. My name is Tony Bernhard. I'm uh, on the board of directors at the Saudi Center and a graduate of the chaplaincy program. And we're uh, with Diane on the uh, Folsom Prison Project.
4: I'm Diane Wild. I'm coordinator of Buddhist services at uh, Folsom State Prison, uh, Folsom and California State Prison, uh, Sacramento. Um, We have about 15 volunteers in three different sanghas. Um, I want to learn a lot about how to coordinate this better, how to, how to um, give the men what they need, what they really need and what we think they need. So I'm, I'm really anxious to hear everybody's experience, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, and all of that. We also have three separate traditions in our three separate sanghas, which makes it very interesting in how we work together um, and combining all of our traditions. So I've got a lot of questions. May I ask you to hold the microphone closer to your mouth
2: and remember this
5: direction? Thank you. I, I'm Michael Patty and um, I'm from Davis, and I uh, support Diane out at the New Folsom Prison. And um, I've been doing that for two or three, about three years, mm-hmm. four years now. And I'm just here to listen and hear everyone else's experiences. You know, present work is really challenging and seems like overwhelming at times, so i just like to hear what everybody else's experiences are.
6: My name is Joette Sebastiani, and I work with Diane also. I'm a relatively new volunteer. I've just received my brown card. And I'm here to listen and find out about all of your experiences so I can Better serve.
0: I'm Diana Clark, and I'm currently a student in the chaplaincy program. And I don't have a lot of experience with uh, prison chaplaincy, but I'm curious and I'd like to learn some more. My name's
7: Joe, and I'm in the chaplaincy program too. Um, And I've been meditating at San Quentin for over two and a half years now, and I'm about to start um, going to Chachala Women's Prison in a couple of weeks. So it's just support and just to hear experience from some of you who've been doing it a lot longer, so...
8: My name is Carol Anderson. I was four and a half years in the state of Missouri setting up and facilitating uh, Buddhist uh, programs in the the Missouri state prison system. And I'm currently a member of the Bodhisattva Sangha at San Quentin.
6: I'm Linda Filling. Um, I haven't been involved
7: in any prison projects in the past, but have been invited to participate in a juvenile hall, and I'm just very intrigued by this
6: whole field, so I'm here to listen.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Drevdone. I'm a graduate of the uh, Sate Chaplaincy Program, and I have spent a couple years now volunteering as a job search coach at San Quentin and also the Contra Costa County Jails, and I present a workshop to about 100 inmates a month. And uh, I'm also in the process of being trained as a mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction uh, teacher. In fact, I'll be joining John and next month. I don't know if anybody else is going to be doing that down at Mount Madonna. And so I'm going to be uh, implementing – we have a uh, – wisdom tradition piece in our uh, job search coaching packet, but we're going to also start to do a um, eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction class at one of the county jails in Contra Costa.
9: My name is Mark Mushcat. I'm, I'm not currently involved in any prison project, but uh, I've, I've come to um, a meditation practice in part because of a prison film called Doing Time, Doing Vipassana, and um, later followed that up with a a book about uh, uh, an intense uh, prison meditation project called The Letters from the Dhamma Brothers. And I'm here simply to learn more and uh, be with my friend Karen.
10: I'm Karen Jandorf. I will be starting to co-facilitate the Victim Offender Education Group at San Quentin through the Insight Prison Project and have recently joined the Alameda County Restorative Juvenile Justice Task Force.
7: I'm Margaret Gaynor. I um, was uh, graduated from the chaplaincy program, I think it was about 2006. I've been teaching in Santa Clara County Jail uh, for about five years, and I have questions about um, when the administration in the jail is a little suspicious of what you do, uh, kind of regards it as religious, and you have to be careful about that. Uh, It can be delicate sometimes, and I have a feeling not everybody has that situation where they're teaching, but it happens to obtain where I'm teaching. But I enjoy the students very much and have valued my chaplaincy training and hope to learn more today.
11: I'm Delia McGrath, and I was in the first chaplaincy training here in we graduated in 2004. I have been since then at the Federal Correctional Institute uh, in Dublin, California on a team of um, practitioners from different lineages. Each of us goes in one Tuesday a month and we have a well-established sangha with the women inmates um, at the Dublin facility. And uh, I also work of the San Francisco Zen Center in the um, San Francisco jail. Now, these two different places where I go have extremely different setups. Uh, The jail has turnaround people um, right after arrest and things like that, whereas the population at FCI Dublin is a stable, long-term sentences are being... uh, (laughs) paid <laughs> there and so uh, it's. I want to learn also from people who do both the long term because it's challenging more so in the jail for me than at the prison
12: sorry I'm late um, I'm Bila and uh, I'm here to um, learn. I was really impressed with the presentation a couple of weeks ago here. Uh, I have a background in criminology, so I'd like to see how maybe later on I can be of help and contribute in those uh, settings in mindfulness uh, practice. My name's Kathleen Costello.
13: Um, I'm interested in the Buddhist chaplaincy program, and so this is sort of an extension of that. Um, I'm actually going to be going to uh, Chichilla, I think that's how you pronounce it, with a friend of mine who does peace work in the prisons. Um, so that'll be my first experience, and I just felt like this would be a good opportunity to get a better handle on. How to handle certain situations. Um, And I'm also interested in any sort of parallels that come from this work that could be used in other chaplaincy environments, whether it's hospitals or schools or anything like that, because I'm sure there's some lessons that can be spread across different environments. So thank you.
9: Hi, my name is uh, Matea Bermana. I'm from Santa Cruz. I, um, I'm interested in the Buddhist chaplaincy program. Um, I, I guess I'm currently been sort of designated or uh, I volunteered as uh, a co-editor of the, the prison sangha newsletter for the uh, Soledad Prison and Salinas Valley Prison. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also interested in actually volunteering inside the prison. I've, I've, I've volunteered uh, the literacy council doing uh, work teaching inmates uh, to read, as well as inmates how to uh, different skill sets that, that help them uh, prepare for the GED exam. Um, also, starting a nonprofit called Green Ladder, which uh, focuses on green jobs training and development for ex-offenders. Um, so, this is an area that
14: uh, that definitely interests me. My name is Don, and um, I'm familiar with both Buddhism and the 12 Steps, and I'm interested in ways of bringing those two programs together in uh, correctional facilities, jails or prisons.
0: Hi, my name is Natasha Bruckner, and I'm also from Santa Cruz, and uh, I volunteer at the Soledad prison and have been doing so for about a year, and I'm just here to um, hear stories from other volunteers, and help deepen my understanding of what is possible in the prison.
15: My name is uh, Michael Bennett, and I'm associated here at, the, at, at IMC. Uh, I went through the um, chaplaincy program quite a number of years ago. I think it was a second class. And I've been involved in hospice work and uh, facilitating support groups here in our own sangha, but I've had no experience in the prisons I'm interested
4: my name is Meryl Lanning, and I'm in the current uh, Sati Chaplaincy Program. I haven't ever done any prison work. I'm here to listen and learn, and I've already learned um, from what some of you have said. And I'm very drawn to prison work, and would like to know where I might um, fit in.
9: My name is Walter Matreik. Um I have no experience with prison work, but uh, I'm retired from a background in K-12 education, adult basic, vocational, refugee education, and corporate education, and uh, I would just like to learn more about what's going on in this area.
16: My name is Meryl Landy, and um, I'm a volunteer in Soldad. I've Natasha and I went in about the same time, about a year ago, with Heidi to my right. Um, I graduated the Sati chaplaincy program last year, and I came to this all from doing about six years' volunteer work in Juvie Hall in mediation and restorative justice program.
17: I'm Heidi Renteria, and I've been uh, volunteering a volunteer Buddhist chaplain in correctional training facility in Soledad for seven years, and I'm a graduate of the Sati Center Chaplaincy Training Program, and I'm really glad to be here.
6: I'm Cheryl Hilton, a member of the INC Sangha here, and uh,
4: I'm doing prison work light, which is, uh, I have a pen friend at Salinas Valley State Prison, whom I've had since uh, May. And, it can be at least considered a possible thing for people to do to begin getting a sense of what it's about. It's a very well-run program through the Santa Cruz Sangha. There's very good memo of understanding and so that everybody knows what's, what's what. So I feel very comfortable with the program, what it does, and if you're interested, I'd be happy to talk with you about it or to have a side, like you say, I think there's a real possibility for networking here because I've got lots to learn, <laughs> but also, you know, I've learned some things, so... I'm also interested in at least entertaining the possibility of actually going inside. Thank you.
18: My name is Janet Hathaway, and I have no prison experience at all. Um, I'm a retired attorney, and I'd like to figure out some way of being of
7: help.
19: My name is Don Moore. I haven't had any prison work, um, and I'm looking forward to... Uh, learning from y'all.
0: Thank you very much. My name is Jenya, and I'm currently in the chaplaincy training, and I'm just here to learn more about this kind of work.
6: My name is Diana Gerard, and I live and work at the San Francisco Zen Center and volunteered uh, to go and um, help with the meditation class at the San Francisco County Jail, and actually the first time I go in will be tonight, so I'm quite
16: interested in being here.
2: (laughs) I'm
15: Lisa, and I am a member of the Buddha Dharma Sangha in San Quentin.
0: My name is Anna, and um, I'm a current student of the SATI Center right now, um, of the chaplaincy training. And I just moved here from Portland, where I spent about a year leading a restorative justice group in uh, the Oregon State um, OSCI, the Oregon State Correctional Institute. So I'm excited to be here.
18: Hi, I'm Hillary Borison, and um, I am interested in the chaplaincy program. I'm currently starting embarking on some grief counseling. And um, I also am in, involved in this anti-bullying program in um, the middle schools. Um, and I actually have uh, family members who have been in front of jail. Um, and I would love to know how I can be a benefit to them. Um, so...
6: I'm Maria Stratman, and like Delia, I was in the first Sati Center chaplaincy class. Um, I'm a volunteer with the Hospice Project at Laguna Honda Hospital, and at least three of the people currently in our hospice ward ha- have been in prison. One very recently, and is still on parole. And so I'm very curious to see see how the two forms of chaplaincy can really mesh with one another because I think the problems that these people have are not different than the people who are trying to make their way in the life after leaving prison. There is a difference. And my brother's back in prison, so it's a very personal thing for me.
9: Hi, my name is Nikos. I'm from Sacramento, Nico Slevens. Um, I have a criminal justice uh, reform background around the state capital uh, for for four and a half years. I advocated for criminal ju- criminal sentencing reform and treatment instead of incarceration our substance abuse and Crime Prevention Act. I haven't done any prison work yet, but um, I look forward to doing some.
19: Hi, my name is Sophia Hirsch. And I'm a member of IMC here, and I've been coming for quite some time. Um, I don't have any experience directly going into prisons. However, um, I'm a graduate of the uh, Quaker Alternative to Violence program. I've taken all the levels. I'm also a graduate of Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication. And uh, while I'm <clears throat> going through my own process, um, I read two books we're all doing time and the Dharma Brothers and um, that has profoundly influenced me in such a deep way and um, I was really amazed at how much in common my experience has been with those people in prison and so I feel like with the work that I've done and with all this other education that I really would love to to go in and see somehow if I can connect with the people in prison and be of some support
4: to them. Um, I'm Mary Reed, and um, I am a member of IMC. I hope to be a member of the chaplaincy program when I have some time. I'm also uh, an intern for marriage and family therapist and I work in an agency that um, deals a lot with uh, youth that are in trouble um, or substance abuse and such, and um, having read the Dhamma Brothers also, I was just like, wow, this is just fabulous. I would love to do this kind of work. So I've done nothing in that regard so far.
15: I'm Terry Winter from Sacramento, active with the Folsom Prison Sangha. Uh, started out six years ago, same time as Diane. Um uh, one interesting thing uh, in hearing uh, the concern about religiosity in uh, presentations, we're in there as a religious program, so um, we're on the <laughs> having to prove that we're religious enough. I suppose if we had to prove something. <laughs>
0: My name is Chen Zing Han, and I'm interested in Buddhist chaplaincy.
6: Only recently I've started reading a bit more about it in the prison setting, so I'm just here to learn more and try to understand more.
14: My name is Trent Walker, and I'm a current student in the Sati Center Chaplaincy program, and I'm here to learn more.
3: Well, thank you for coming. I I think that in itself uh, showed that there's a lot of experience in the room. And, and there's a lot of experience in the different aspects involved in, around incarceration, the attitude towards incarceration, and a skillful and compassionate approach to it. And um, let me say a little bit about myself. So, as, as I mentioned somewhere about 16 years ago, Jacques and I started to do prison work through the San Francisco County Psychiatric Services. And then for myself, before I was the abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center, I I started what we call our Outreach Department, and and, uh, and so I've worked in jails in a variety of ways, Um, done stress reduction, Um, currently do that in relationship to depression and anxiety, Um, worked in recovery and substance abuse, homelessness, and hospice. And in some ways, I I see a link between them all. Uh, Well, they're all variations of our response to the human condition, right? There are ways we uh, suffer individually and societally. I think it might be helpful if, since there's so much experience in the room, if we ask ourselves, "Well, what would we like to attend to today?" You know, Um, like we could be as concrete as. What are the different kinds of situations you come uh, up against in prisons? You know, what's it like to work with male prisoners? What's it like to work with female prisoners? What's it like to work, as a couple of people mentioned, with a transient group? You know, there, there are different, in particular, jails where where they're they're transient. That's how they are. You know, they're for anyone who has a sentence of less than five months. They're also for people who are there while they're being processed to go somewhere else. And then there's places like San Quentin and and Dublin where there's long-term Sangha. What are the different dynamics that tend to arise in those situations? Um, And and what's a helpful strategy in either situation, like if you're doing an hour, an hour and a half session, what's a skillful way to approach that? Um, then within a strategy, you know, that you may adopt for a session, you know, talk about the details, you know, what, if, if you're doing... Like say body work, mindful stretching or something like that, how, how to work with that skillfully. If you're offering different kinds of meditation, what kinds of meditation are indicated by different situations? Um, if you're doing group work, you know, what, what are the kinds of issues that come up, that tend to come up in the psychodynamics of group work under different settings? And what's of skillful response to them. Um, so those are the things that come to my mind uh, you know and then knowing something about um, the structure and function of prisons and jails. I remember several years ago, I went to a conference um, on contemplative practice in prisons, and there, were a, there was a warden, one of the speakers and it was a warden, and one was a, a senior official in the prison. And it was very informative, it was very informative to hear how someone whose responsibility is to maintain the order and security of a prison, how they think about it. I, I still remember both of them saying, the first question we ask ourselves with regards to anything is, how does this affect the security of the prison? You, know? you want to start a mas- meditation group. How does this affect the security of the prison? You, know? you want to bring in meditation cushions. You know? And you may think, well, isn't that a benign thing? Well... Certain prisons don't see it that way. Um, anything else?
15: The issue of curriculum is something that's come up for us. And we go through this struggle periodically as to, well, what kind of an overall plan should we have for mm. the period ahead?
3: Yes. And and maybe curriculum has different aspects to it. I mean, it's like... Um, how much Buddhism are we teaching, and what kind of Buddhism are we teaching, you know? And and how much are we teaching mindfulness skills, and how much are we are we teaching um, a more developed approach to and bhavana, cultivation of consciousness, concentration, and things like that.
15: Another question along that line for me is um, to what extent we want to just provide some comfort and refuge, and to what extent we want it to be an active learning process.
2: Mm.
3: Okay. Anyone else? lot of maybe
5: maybe even more basic questions like in terms of access and continuity and how you establish a program where the, for instance, our prison's been locked down for a whole month now. So we haven't been out there for a long time and they only allow us in every couple weeks anyway. So how do you maintain um, a program where the men even remember what you did the last time you are there? Uh, you know, it's not that uncommon for us not being being there maybe once every two months or something just because of the way the prison is set up. And I'm not I'm not saying this to complain. I just I mean it sounds like if you have a very established program like at San Quentin, something's different about how the administration views what you're doing or is it just the length of time you're there or somehow somehow they're probably more invested in what you're doing. And so it's a it's a huge, huge issue for us because no matter how sophisticated the plan might be or Deep the practices might be that you're offering, if you basically are not there, they can't remember what you were even talking about the last time you were there. What, what do you want to do? So I'm just interested in people's experiences in that in that, mm. in that regard.
3: Mm. And, and I think Jacques will have some wonderful insights, having become so interwoven with what happens at San Quentin for a decade.
2: Yeah, yeah. So
3: yeah.
15: be helpful for yeah for us. Related to that is the prisoner's right to extent that they have it for uh, religious practice? Um, for us, a question related to access is to what extent the prisoner actually has a right to a religious service. And for Buddhists, since there aren't Buddhist chaplains in the prison, um, I'd like for us to have access to, to cell visits, and we can't do that. So... Um, uh, we've thought sometimes maybe legal um, action would be necessary.
0: The, the question of access to me seems to stem, I, I just moved here so I don't know, but when I was in Oregon, Networking with the chaplains of the prison was the foundation of everything that we did. We knew of, you know, who were the more friendly <laughs> to faith minority chaplains in which prisons, and we made a point of reaching out to the chaplains of the prisons. And I, I don't know what the situation is here, but I'm kind of curious, like. Well, who but they let's are. do this.
3: Let's let's get the topics, and then we'll see what our strategy is.
7: Because jail teaching is different in the sense of the inmates being transient and so forth, I think it would be helpful to handle that either as a topic or possibly a breakout group, those of us who've mentioned uh, working in jail and ideas that have worked or that um, that we have problems with.
11: I think you first said, Paul, that... Um our attitudes about incarceration, I wanted to uh, add maybe a subtopic to that is uh, our relationship with the personnel, the paid um, staff in prisons and jails, um, because that has come up in some instances in my experience. So I think it's worthy to point that out or okay. develop something mm-hmm. along that line.
14: I don't mean to be too much of an advocate for this, but I think since so many people in prisons and jails are suffering with addiction-related issues, drug-related, alcohol-related, mm-hmm. I think an important topic along the lines of curriculum would be <coughs> excuse me, uh, recovery methods in addition to Buddhism, such as 12 Steps or other um, approaches in okay. uh, addiction recovery uh, content.
4: How many months are
2: we
9: going meet? <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a question about why there is no state uh, Buddhist chaplain and, and some of the issues concerning that because I know sometimes inmates perceive chaplains that are on the payroll as sort of an extension of, of the uh, CEO and um, therefore there may be a trust uh, issue. Um, and I wonder if that's what's causing us perhaps not to be uh, as uh, mm-hmm. aggressive in terms mm-hmm. of seeking this designation or is there some, some other reason?
6: I would like to also suggest that perhaps um, there are special ways that we have to a- approach people who are incarcerated so, from a personal point of view, how how we deal not only with the structure of the prisons, but how do we uh, how do we talk talk with the people that we wish to serve?
2: Hmm.
6: I, I think the trust issue is is that you brought up as the thing that I notice most. How do I trust you?
0: I would like to hear some success stories. From people here, what has worked well as a, and it may be that we each define success differently, but specific stories, uh, maybe dealing both with the prison system and then with inmates one on one, successes that you've had personally. Meaning what? Maybe when there was a challenge that, or some kind of uh, challenge that needed to be overcome or a suffering that needed to be transformed whether it was within the system or with, for an inmate personally, and how, um, what strategies volunteers used to overcome that or to help transform that. Okay.
17: A topic that comes over and over is self-hatred and self-forgiveness and how to talk about that with uh, ex-offenders.
16: I also wanted to know how people deal with the fact that there's a lot of prejudice against Buddhists. It's not a Christian environment and how people have dealt with Buddhism as being a different religion. Hmm. And then the other thing is, is I also um, am a pen pal to a few inmates. Um, And so the topic about working individually with people, to help them um, in their practice because the people that I write, some of them have never done any. Some of them have done quite a bit of practice. I'm not a teacher. I'm just a student like them and how to work skillfully with people when you write.
4: Um, I have a, I have a question about um, reentry. Uh, a lot of men are now leaving prison due to the budget crisis. And, uh, I've been asked by a number of men, so what sangha do I go to? Um, hmm. Where will I be welcomed? Um, I'm trying to research that kind of thing in various areas around the country, and I'd like to know what, uh, uh, or not around the country, I'm sorry, around the state, but what other people have recommended, um, what's available. Okay. Uh,
19: I have a question about, uh, is this on? About mm-hmm. the requirements to be able to join this uh, prison zender project, because uh, when I inquired about it, I was very enthusiastic about this, and the person seemed to welcome my experience and my enthusiasm. But then they said, "Well, you have to have a certain amount of lengthy retreats that you have to have sit."
3: Which program was this?
19: Was the prison zender project? and um i was ready to go in and, and see how i could be of service and then i was blocked because they wanted that and i i also really observed that there is an awful lot of rich experience here in the room I mean, a lot of people are not able to get away from work or necessarily to to, to leave to, to do these sits, and, and yet they still want to be able to participate wondering if there's a way well oh, maybe, maybe um,
3: We'll we'll, we'll address that. Okay? That's all?
1: (laughs) I I have one question.
3: (laughs) Oh, thank goodness.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'd like to know how uh, needs are assessed when you're meeting with an individual or group as to, is there a procedure in which to address, um, be able to uncover certain aspects that basically need to be worked on? It could be uh, attention, patience, anger, uh, self-loathing. I mean, there's a variety of different lists that one could lay down, but is there a sort of a pedagogical way of assessing need and applying a process towards that?
3: Very good. And Relating to that, here's a question I'd like us to start by discussing. It's like, what are we trying to do when we go into prison? You know, I mean, in in my own experience, you know, as I said, I started off with jail psychiatric services, and the person who brought us in, who since deceased, Shelley Dunigan, brought both Jacques and myself. Um, well, that was her background. She, she she was a psychotherapist, and we started with a model of uh, stress reduction anger management. You know, we were we, we were coming in to address psychological issues and and to use our background as Buddhists to offer a compassionate and skillful response. You know? um, so, so I've gone in and under jail psychiatric services, gone in was never quite called a chaplain, but something in that manner you know gone in as someone who taught meditation meditation being something that would make people more aware, less likely to be violent and more quite likely to comply with the rules and regulations of a prison um, what else what other ca- and i've gone in into under different learning programs, some of the educational department. And and, and certainly my thought was, what does it matter what door you come through, what designation you're given in entering? Um, But if you think about it, it it does bring up an overarching question for us. What is it we're going to do? Are we addressing in a fundamental way just... Anger management? Are, are we teaching the paramis, you know, how to be patient, how to be kind? and, and Or are we attempting to teach, you know, the, the basic tenets of Buddhism as shared by the different traditions? Um, so for those of you who are uh, actively engaged, how would you answer that question? And what is it you're trying to do when you go into the prison or the jail, in particular in relationship to Buddhist practice. Sometimes these microphones turn themselves off, so if you look down to see if the light is on. Okay,
17: uh, I see my basic mission in the prison is reducing suffering. I mean, basic is that, and I think that we, we teach, as a religious program, we teach Buddhist meditation, and um, we try to, uh, basically we teach sort of Vipassana American Buddhism. And I see our best way to reduce our end suffering is teaching uh, the roots of suffering and how to eliminate them. So there's a strong element of Dhamma and um not really making any bones about that. We are there uh, teaching Buddha Dhamma. Which I I feel, you know, it totally works. It's all I need.
3: So as a meditation technique, you teach Vipassana?
8: Yes. I found in Missouri, going into a prison cold turkey and setting up a program, that the thing that played out the most and was the absolute most important to not just the guys inside but staff was just showing up, was just being present. Whether the, it was, you know, dead of winter with three feet of snow on the ground, whether it was Christmas or Easter or what the hell it was, I was there. If the prison was open, I was there. And it just got around. You know, even, even the, the, the CEOs and the, and, and the men who weren't a part of the group, you know, after a while they'd recognize me as I came through, I'd, you know, joke with them in the yard on my way to the chapel, um, you know small talk with the with the c o with the at the security desk coming in and coming out, and I just became part of the part of the culture.
3: Did you do sit around and play cards?
8: Um, we would uh, we would sit for twenty or thirty minutes. I would see what intent part none absolutely zero hmm. the the the, uh, um, the turnover the the diversity of of people that came in the in in the group, every attempt and I tried, you know, to establish and and um uh kind of push through some kind of curriculum. I put through you know I had a syllabus when I first went in. These are the things I want to accomplish and all the goals and everything. I just threw it all away. Um because every group, every time I went in Every meeting was completely different and unique. You know, some guy was bringing in a completely different set of issues. You know, whether or not he was, he was being intimidated by some guy in the yard. You know, or he had just gotten out of 30 days in the hole, or you know, his mother. You, just, you know, the some CEO had just come. Hey, you know, I got news yesterday. Your mother died, and walked away from it. You know, and he's left standing there cold. You know, you got to deal with that, and a curriculum doesn't do it. I mean, this is just my experience. So I just seeded the conversation, and I just opened it up, and we went around from, from person to person to person. Where are you? What you're doing? Where is your practice right now? And what do we Meaning need to what? talk about?
3: Where is your practice right now? What does that... Pardon? What, what's implicated in saying, where is your practice? What does that mean? What, what is it? to Ask that question.
8: It depend, oh, what, to ask the question? Yeah. Just to bring the person present into the room with me.
3: But well, what does the word practice mean?
8: Whatever their practice is. Some of these guys were establishing, you know, pretty solid Buddhist practice after, you know, a couple, it took a couple, couple, three years, but they were establishing pretty solid practice. But I had lots of Wiccan folks who were in there, you know, in, in their own practice, but they found something in the group, and the group was open to that. I had all kinds of people from all kinds of disciplines, mm. and and although my bent is pretty solidly Zen, you know, we had to create enough space for everybody, mm-hmm. and we did that.
3: Okay, so so essentially, you 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 were indeed trying to address, to, to use those kinds of words, human suffering.
8: Yeah, but I didn't I didn't put an name to it. You know, when I'm sitting in front of somebody and.
3: I. Fine. I, I, I'm just saying, it, there's, just to have a sense of what it was you were trying to do, mm-hmm. and, and you know how you went about doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so let me try on some language. You know, um, so you were addressing human suffering, and you were addressing it. By relating directly to the issues that arose for the people who were coming to the group. And you were meditating. Any, any particular guidance offered in relationship to the meditation? Just sit down and shut up. Okay. <laughs> the sit down and shut up style. Okay. And thank you, God. Anyone else? Um,
5: Well, uh, just agreeing with you, I think there's a lot of value just being there and actually offering uh, a safe, quiet place where uh, they can are allowed to sort of be themselves and uh, without the usual stuff that has to go on all the other time in the prison. Hmm. So um, without getting too much into how are you going to structure that? But I think for a lot of people that show up in our song, that is enough. And uh, a, par- a appreciable part of why they come. I don't know if other people- They, they
3: come to- They come just because we
5: hold a space for them where they feel safe and on guard and can be quiet. Okay, it's it's a peaceful, quiet place. So I'm not saying that's all of it, but it's a I think it's a big piece of it for, for some of them. And what else? Well, I wasn't going to try to, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure quite what you're asking, but I, I, you know, I think you can underestimate the value of having a, a safe, um, regular place for these people to come, which is unique in their experience in psychology. Well, in a
3: way, I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Because if you say, we just turn up and talk about whatever arises, well, what's the difference between that and a psychotherapy group. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're just quiet and hold a space, well, that sounds like a Quaker meeting to me.
5: <laughs> but but, I'm, but I, I guess I'm advocating that maybe if there was a Quaker meeting, they came to it, they would get some of the benefit they're getting from what we do for them. Not all and, them. And,
3: and what I'm trying to get at is, you know, somehow or another, we call ourselves, well, I mean, maybe we could ask ourselves, how many of us call ourselves Buddhists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I I remember. I remember someone recounting it. Maybe in Gil, you know, a while back. I'm not sure how long, five or ten years. They they had a a teachers' meeting at Spirit Rock, and 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 Jack Coinfield, the primary teacher there, said to the group of teachers, about 30 of them, "Well, how many of you would call yourselves Buddhists?" And two people put their hands up, <laughs> Jack and Gil.
2: <laughs>
3: so, about a decade ago, of the thirty odd teachers at Spirit Rock, two of them were <laughs> prompted to say, "Yes, I'm a Buddhist." I don't know what the rest would have said, and so it's it's an interesting situation, right? And what do we think of ourselves as? I mean, do you think of yourself as a Buddhist or is that not it? You know, Are you, are you just someone who addresses um, the human condition in a compassionate and wise way?
7: Because um, I teach in a program that is not religious, I am—I have been told I am not a chaplain, and if I function that way, I cannot teach meditation. So the way I have learned to treat it is, I go in, um, and I don't say this from an egotistical way, but I go in trying to be a Buddha. So I try to embody the practice rather than teach specifically Buddhist principles. I teach by my own demeanor, I hope. And I also, you know, I I don't just teach meditation. I teach things about psychological things and how to be awake to uh, craving and desire. But I don't use those words. This is in kind of a rehabilitation situation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the principles of Buddhism are taught in that way because they're human understandings that people really become enlightened by. And so, in a way, um, I try not to mention the word. And if I do, people complain. What I mean, word
3: do you know, try, try not to mention?
7: The, the word Buddha or Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, over five years of teaching, I've had three people um, ask not to come to the class because they felt it was against their religion. And I don't teach religion in the class and I try not to present it and most people Mm -hmm. don't take it as religion. But there are people who are so fearful of hearing the word that they don't want to sit there or they're fearful of being silent. Mm -hmm. Um, And just last week, so this is why I brought it up, somebody went over to the program director and said, I'm too religious. And so now I've got to be more careful. Mm -hmm. I can't, if I write a quotation on the whiteboard, I'm not going to attribute it anymore. And I attribute it to Jesus or Buddha or Oliver Wendell Holmes. But if they see the word Buddha, some people are very threatened by that. And Mm -hmm. so I have to be really careful how I present myself and how I work with them. And the only way I have figured out to do it is to try to embody what I want to teach. Mm. And they see it. I mean, they understand patience and that sort of thing. So that is a way to, but not everybody has this. If you can openly work with Buddhist principles, what a relief and how wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think that we
17: are very fortunate at CTF where I I teach in that we we are there as religious volunteers. We are teaching Buddhist meditation. And uh, But we have a very diverse group that many Muslim men are very regular in our group. Many men who are Catholic, who are Christian, who are whatever. Uh, we also have an unusual setting in that we have a large group that every Tuesday night we have 40 to 70 men in the chapel. And so just going around and hearing where people are at is not what they want Uh And it would take too long, and it wouldn't. I think that earlier on, we tried to um, make it more just, you know, like, well, what's up tonight? And they wanted to hear something from us to respond to. So we teach meditation, and then we have a short Dhamma talk, and then we have discussion, which is often wonderful with the men, and then we always close with another meditation and uh, a final metta meditation. And then uh, the men direct uh, a yoga class, a Hatha yoga class for half an hour, uh, which is just excellent. uh, That we, the volunteers, usually hang out at the back of the chapel then and do one-on-one conversations. And I also heartily concur with your idea of that, yes, it's very important uh, that we be as much Buddhist as we can be, not only with the inmates, but with the COs and with everyone we meet there, because that is an incredibly important part of our validity and our credibility. Um, and yeah, I think we're lucky in that we, we are doing a Buddhist program. Mm. Thank you.
3: Let me, let me just interject a little bit. The reason I thought to start here is I, I I would say this my guess would be this would be the at least the the aspiration of most of us that that, that we want to come not so much to impose ideas to, to to try to convert someone to some way of thinking or believing that we hold. But but, more to address them where they are in their lives, and to help them to suffer less, and to help them to experience and discover the skills around not suffering and being a more awake and enlivened in the midst of the life they have. You know that would be my guess. That' would be something like that. And the reason I think this is a helpful conversation is, that I think it's helpful to know where you're at. You know, I think it's a little naive to say I have absolutely no agenda and I don't do anything in particular. I mean if that's literally the way you're at, you walk into the room and whatever happens you'll have no particular response. <laughs> you know? I mean, we do have an agenda You know, we we would like to think that it's wise and broad and tolerant and universal in that it helps us all. I mean, I I would say that's our aspiration. You know, I would think. Um, Now, whether or not we call ourselves Buddhists, um, it's an interesting question, but in a way it's a secondary question. Because I could imagine that whether or not you called yourself a Buddhist or thought you were teaching Buddhism, if you look at what we do in trying to fulfill our aspiration, I think we'll find there's a lot of common ground. You know? In, in, in what it is we're attempting to do, and then it'll be interesting to discover and explore how we try to fulfill that intention, and if I could just add, um, you know, in teaching the chaplaincy course, and it's something around um, because I think this will come up: assessment. You know, I think often it seems antithetical to this open, encompassing notion to say making an assessment or having some kind of assessment, it seems judgmental. I would say you know, it's about what is the basic intention with which we're entering this environment and what's a skillful way to express that aspiration or intention. No. Not in the service of dictating, manipulating, controlling, converting to some belief system. Now, well, that's not the agenda. But still, there can be some... Like, I mean, if your assessment is, this is a transient group, and most of these people don't have any meditation skills, well, then you're quite unlikely to expect them to sit still for an hour. You yeah? know? So these two notions, you know, Um, what's your agenda? Maybe it's more benign or palatable to to call it your aspiration. (laughs) And then this other nasty word, assessment. I remember once when I was studying psychotherapy, I took a course uh, called um, Brief Counseling. And I don't remember much of the course, other than that the, the person who ran the course was a wonderful person, and I learned a lot from him as a person. But one of the things he taught was making a realistic assessment that's based on what you're confronted with. And of course, in the context of the aspiration with which you enter the situation. And this was in the context of brief counseling, brief meaning, you know, in a lot of situations now, it's a very different thing to think, I'm going to be the therapist for this person for the next year. Or we're we're, we're a long-term prison group, and we're going to meet every week for the next year. Versus, here's the 20 people in front of me, and it's going to be a different 20 people next week, and I have exactly, you know, 50 minutes to interact with them. You know, what can you do with 50 minutes with this group? You know? So you come with your intention, and that intention expresses itself in a, in a definite, tangible way given the situation and given who's there and and how much time you have to meet with them.
15: I found that um, a problem with assessment is that we want to think they're just like us. And if we think that because we don't want to be condescending, and so if we are stuck with the idea, committed to the idea, they're just like us, we can't assess them as anything other than just like us.
3: Yeah,
15: It's just something we have to get over. Right.
3: And, you know, we could start this group with a few diversity exercises, right? And we'd find out there is an us, and there's also not an us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, each one of us has a unique background, you know, each one of us came to practice through a very personal and unique course, yeah, um, and yet we all share the human condition. Yeah. So, they are just like us, and I would say that's part of the strength of the heritage of Buddhist teachings, and they are not. They're incarcerated. At the end of this class, you're going to leave. <laughs> They're not. yeah.
16: You know, on that note, too, um, many of the men in our sangha are are not Caucasian. And um, so there's the similarities of culture and the differences of culture. And um, I just sometimes I'm aware of it and sometimes it's not anything I have to to do, but I'm just noticing around here where most of us are also Caucasian, and we're going into a prison environment where most of the people aren't, and that, too, is something I think we need to consider. Yes. Right.
13: Could you speak a little bit more about the brief counseling, Um, or give maybe an example of how you could do a skillful assessment? because like to what you're saying, I think there's gonna be a lot of situations where even to what people were already saying that every time it's gonna be different, there's gonna be a different set of needs, there's gonna be a different um, type of suffering. And um, yeah. for those of us who are really new to it, um, you know, we can do the best we can, but if there's any kind of insights for, from the room in those short circumstances where you can have an idea of what's needed What's the best way to deliver mm-hmm. it, the most yeah. skillful way?
3: Yeah. Well, <coughs> let, let me offer you... Um, so there's the particulars of a situation, there's the behaviors involved in it, and there's the underlying conditions. So if you're having one session with someone, the the chances of having the time to get at the underlying conditions and work them through is very remote. The the, the chances of looking at the particulars and making an assessment. Uh, You know, say a woman comes and, and she's just experienced domestic violence and you assess that it's at a level where her life's in danger. well, I would say address that you know I, I don't think it's a time to start looking at the psychodynamics between her and her partner and, and, and how things are going astray and, and getting to this level of agitation and violence. you know I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing to, do, to be addressed. And, Possibly could be addressed at some point. But right now, there's an immediate need. You know? So that's an assessment. You know? and, 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 and you might move directly to advice. I think you should call the police. You know? That's what I think you should do. Your life's in danger and your kids' welfare is in danger. I think you should call the police and move out and go to this shelter. Or if it's not that extreme, you know, maybe you say, um, some, some other variation. Or if it's one less degree extreme, maybe you want to explore with the person. Um, what could change in the situation? Is is there a way that you could behave? Is there a behavior you could ask from your partner that that would lessen the agitation and animosity between you? Hmm? So you would make an assessment as to what to you seemed possible in the time you have to interrupt. No? See, in a, in a more, like say, a couple come to you for counseling and, and they're more or less committing to working with this and working through their issues. Right? Do so you think, okay, well, often what happens in couples counseling, the two people sit down and start to complain about each other, <laughs> and, you know, it usually takes two or three sessions them to get all that out. <laughs> That's why they're there. Because they're unhappy. And they want to tell you just how they're unhappy and how this other person's making them unhappy. <laughs> and honestly, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it's like you make space for that. You just hold it. Oh, okay. Please, you know, take the next 20 minutes to tell this person, you know what you don't like about them. (laughs) So assessment in relationship to how much time you have to work on it and the intensity of what it is that needs to be worked on.
13: Um, One additional question on top of that is um, from the mindfulness space um, or the Buddhist perspective, I guess in an individual or a group setting, if you're not coming in necessarily in a situation where uh, a program or a sangha has already been created, um, and we don't have to talk about it right now, but an interest of mine would be how to skillfully bring that mindfulness piece into it and maybe not even from a Buddhist perspective because depending on the environment, you know, that may not be um, accepted. So sort of an extension of that assessment is, okay, how can, you be present and open and helpful to that person, but also bring that piece into it without necessarily saying, okay, start a Buddhist practice or you know a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Or, um, just an interest. I don't know if we don't have to get to that now, but yeah. I think it be helpful.
3: And the reason I was poking around is I'm not so sure how many people in the room would be say, comfortable with saying start a Buddhist practice. My sense is a lot of people would be say would be comfortable with saying, start a meditation practice, or a mindfulness practice, or an awareness practice.
13: I was like, oh no, wait, mindfulness, I wouldn't say that.
3: Yeah. In a prison,
9: a prison setting uh, in particular, um, uh, there are a lot of inmates that are coming to the Buddhist group to learn about Buddhism. And so, if that's not clear then, then then I think that 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 also could turn off um, uh, uh, potential uh, inmates where they already heard the Christian perspective they've already heard the, the Muslim perspective, so when they see Buddhism on the program, that's what they want to hear yeah and so um, I think sometimes there's a tendency for us since we're not as dogma. Mm-hmm. Or, or evangelical, I guess, in our orientation that we don't want to associate uh, Buddhism with religion because of all the sort of uh, baggage associated um, with, with, with some of the uh, uh, Christian and other, other religious sort of approaches. But, um, but shying away from it also could have other problems. And so, so I, I think it's, 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 it's probably best to acknowledge that we are Buddhists and, and not be uh, afraid of that or shy away from that. And I think the welcoming part is, 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 is understanding the common values that Buddhism shares with other religions. And, and that's, I think, a way of, of making those from other religions uh, perhaps be more comfortable uh, hearing the Buddhist perspective. Is is just seeing that, that what we have in common.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good point. Um,
4: Uh, I, I, agree, I agree with you. Um, what we have found in our population is people are coming um, to Buddhism because um, they're curious. They're coming because it's Buddhist practice. And as you said, they've, um, they're practicing Muslims. Uh, they're practicing Christians. Uh, we have Jewish men. They're curious. They want to see what is Buddhism all about, and that is why they're there. Um, which brings up a, another point in, in uh, New Folsom. We really try to prepare a program as much as possible. We try to give uh, the basics of, uh, of the Dharma as much as we can. As Michael pointed out, we are often not there for maybe a month, six weeks. They want us to continue uh, we often get totally off track because we don't know where we're where we 're at mm-hmm. how much do they remember um, i'd really like i'd like some guidance on how to handle that. They really want to learn they want to practice and they want to learn, but in a very limited often very limited um, time period yeah um, the other thing, and this is just an aside, and I just found this out. Uh, Heidi had mentioned they have between 40 and 70 men. We found out that uh, we've got a waiting list. We have about 25 men that come to one of our sanghas. We've got a waiting list of 40 men. They won't allow them in Mm -hmm. um, because we don't have a chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, the Christian groups and everybody else gets to get as many as they they need to. Um, They said we need more volunteers before they're going to allow more men to attend, which is very frustrating for
2: us
3: right um so I'd like to take a break in a few, in a few minutes uh, since you know in, in one of the things are, that has become clear in my mind in in doing engaged Buddhism as I call it is that there's the direct face-to-face work, and then there's the advocacy to try to create the environment, the recognition, the situations that enable it. You know? And I think they go hand in hand. Um, it, it's, so I think we, we, you know, maybe today we can work on the skills, on doing the direct work, and we can also network around um, how do we create the environment, the opportunities, the support uh, to promote it, to be, and to have the access to do it. Um, But before we take a break, let's see, in the next couple of minutes, can we tackle this little proposition? Can we agree upon what it is we're trying to do
2: <laughs>
3: when we do these wonderful things we're doing.
2: <laughs>
3: so, anyone foolish enough to try to <laughs> articulate it? Please be sure you have the microphone
1: recording. I'd, I'd be curious to know what you and Jack, Jacques are going to bring Jacques. to the to the meeting today, because I I thought there was a an agenda already planned out. Um,
3: this is what we intend to bring. We, we intend to ask you what you want and, and see, given our experience, how we can serve that request. That, 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 that's our agenda. We We will offer some skills around working with particular situations. And we We will offer the opportunity to network and create this capacity for advocacy yeah. so on on this little matter of what it is that we're going to prison to do
18: um, I, I don't do this work, but it seems to me that um I mean, the Buddha wouldn't have necessarily called himself a Buddhist. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that uh, you know, having feeling the need to call ourselves something, to present ourselves in a certain way, is useful to the point that it's necessary to get into an organization or you know, a, a prison or whatever, or to establish ourselves. This seems to me that I loved what Heidi said about ending suffering, and it seems to me that we do that through our Buddhist practice, how we can uh, bring that to the lives of others, but, but whatever else we might have in our, pot, our tool chest, mm-hmm. uh, that is beneficial. And, um, and so I guess I, I wouldn't want to feel like you know, I, that any one of us would be locked into Buddhism. You know. See,
3: and what I was asking was, what do we aspire to do not that we want to what do we want to call ourselves? Because as far as I'm concerned, if you're clear about what you aspire to do, you know, someone can say, Well, can you do that under the rubric of stress reduction? Sure. Can you do that under the rubric of teaching meditation? Sure. Can you do that under the rubric of anger management? Sure. I mean maybe you need to learn some skills as to how it applies under those different ways of coming at it, but But not so much to have, here's here's what we call it, but it's more like, what is the activity? What is the experience? What is the methodology that we aspire to bring forth? More like that.
15: Um, Perhaps we come to provide to the inmates means to relieve their own suffering. And many of those means will come to us from our Dharma teachings.
16: In a way, um, I sort of see that I come to be present with the people in the group, um, because I don't always know exactly what's gonna transpire. Mm -hmm. But there's also a place I feel like there's a seed planter and what I mean by that is that talk about something and offer that. How someone takes it and uses it is really up to where they are and what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't come anymore, and, and even that's a little bit arrogant maybe, too, saying a seed planter, because I really don't know in a way what's going to happen to what I'm offering or to my, even my being there in presence, mm-hmm. um, I just want to show up.
3: Yeah. Okay. Is there another mic somewhere? No? Maybe two. There are two
2: microphones.
3: No, you're going to have them both. <laughs> I think um,
7: I like to go in I always identify myself as a volunteer so part and I think it's very important for them to understand that so I like to think that I go in freely uh, to to awaken with these people into our lives and into our connection with each other and also then to stand as as a person who embodies that awakening so they can see what a person looks like who's been working on that for a while. So for them to realize their own value as human beings, that it exists just as they are sitting in this jail, uh, that I value them, that they value themselves by realizing as a volunteer I come in freely because I value them, um, I'm not sure how to say it any further than that, but that is mm-hmm. part of what I mm-hmm. bring in. And mm-hmm. it's it doesn't involve a particular practice. It involves my awareness. It's a peak practice for me of my mm-hmm. Buddhist skills. Mm-hmm. But it's an awareness practice for them. Yeah. And that's all, basically.
10: Right. As I'm sitting here, it occurs to me that I believe my intention is to help facilitate um, the ability to be present to what is. And the ability to self-reflect. Yeah, and the ability to self-reflect. Mm-hmm.
12: here. Okay, I think I'm a little confused at this moment. Like, what are we trying to achieve today here? Because I see a lot of people here coming from different places, uh, different settings, different uh, intentions of what to do with their skills, and they're they're willing to help. Mm-hmm. And it's like we are here in a self-discovery atmosphere at the moment. That's what I feel like. We are trying to explore what is it that we want to do, why, what, if we are doing it already, who we are, <laughs> what do we do. It's a, It's. And, and one of the points that I'm aware of, that it's not like we are preaching there when we come to prison. It's not like we are knocking at their cells and say, hey, we're here. The feeling I have is that we will come whichever door we will come as teachers in a way and they are choosing to participate it nobody's forcing them into those classes or, or uh-huh. settings they come because they want to change uh-huh. they don't like what's happening they want to learn something that's yeah. I, I believe basically is the intention when they enter the, the setting of, of whatever it is. And we are basically teachers. Mm. So, and, and we are, I, I don't know, everybody gets into that setting in a different door, so I'm not sure what we're doing exactly right now. This is
3: what we're doing right now. We're, we're exploring the common ground of our aspiration and the difference. Well what you were saying, well we come as teachers, someone was shaking their head. <laughs> you know? So that that notion works for you and that notion doesn't work for them. I see. So it, it's helpful in a variety of ways. It's helpful for us to know what is the, what are the range of ideas in the room
2: mm-hmm.
3: that are implicit in our notion of going into prisons and trying to be of service,
2: mm-hmm.
3: because as as we start to establish that, then we can start to ask subsequent questions. Well, what are the skills that enable that? Yeah, you know, and, and, and the degree to which, you, you know, and then we can look at different aspects of it. You know? right. no, I, I mean, I we, we can that. we can ask ourselves collectively. How much, um, how useful is it, and or when is it useful to call ourselves Buddhists? Mm-hmm. And when is it not? Mm-hmm. You know? and how much of classic Buddhist teachings do we want to present in an overt way? Mm-hmm. And how much do we want to address the fundamental teachings that Buddhism offers with regards to the human condition? Yeah. And not give them any special language. Right. So, so, so that's uh, w- what I I was uh, the reason I thought this was useful. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's certainly instructive to hear, for me to hear, what it is you think, yeah, you hope to do, okay. you aspire to do, in in going into the prison setting, you know, and and then as hearing that, saying, oh well, well let's. Let's discuss this. Uh,
11: One thing that that you brought up uh, that I want to say is also a difference, and that is that in the San Francisco jail population that I attend to, which I think is different from what Diane is going to do tonight, it is in the stress reduction category. It is not in the religious service. And presently, the women must come to the group. So that is a whole different piece that some of us may come into. It's it's probably the most challenging thing. So, I mean, the word Buddha would be the last thing that would ever come up (laughs) for me in that setting. And also, any words that... um, are not just common everyday words, would be put-offs for the women. And um, so I've been working with that, but I did want to point out that that's one situation that some of us, I am in, some of of you might be in. Then I also just want to say in the other end, which is the Dublin, the work in the Dublin Federal Correctional Institute, um, we are in the spiritual care department and we are a Buddhist meditation group, and it's just an amazing sangha. At the same time, one of our team members asked the women, "This was a reality check. Um, so, what do you do when we sit for the half an hour? What's going on for you?" And a large group of them said, "Oh, I pray to the Virgin." You know, they're they're like uh, many of them are Latina women in that group or I um, pray the rosary, or something like that. And if you walked in, you would say, oh, this is a Sangha, a Buddhist Sangha. <laughs> Everybody's doing Vipassana or Zen, you know, Zazen, because it looks like that. But, I mean, that was the reality check. Now, they are certainly hungry for uh, conversation about The dogma, uh, not the dogma, the the teachings. Dharma. (laughs) Used to be a Catholic (laughs) a hundred years ago. (laughs) Um, The Dharma. (laughs) And two (laughs) D's. I know I'm not going to recover from that one. Just let it go. But um, what I do is just say that I... I have learned these things from Buddhist teachings and they are really helpful to me. And it uh-huh. kind of detonates the religious um, anxiety that may arise, especially for dedicated Christians uh, and Muslims. Uh-huh. So that's been one thing that has helped. But there are t- very different settings that we're in. And what you were saying I could totally relate to because it sounds like you are not in the spiritual care department and therefore you have to embody the, the Buddha, like you said, which is what I try to do. Yeah. So
3: to know under what auspices you're coming in. And to let the implications of that register. You know, if you're coming in to teach stress reduction, it's most likely not appropriate to start talking about Buddhism. Now in a way you're talking about applied Buddhism, how the teachings of Buddhism enable stress reduction. The auspices under which you're coming in, the aspiration and intention with which you're there to be of service. And here's another feature. The attending to your own personal practice so that you, you, as much as you can, speak from a personal experience of these endeavors, these teachings, these practices. And then just to give that a little more weight, the degree to which we experience directly The, the words, the ideas, the dogma
2: <laughs>
3: becomes less what it's about and more teaching how to access the direct experience and how to come from the insights the, the, that has arisen from the direct experience. So as practitioners, this is the challenge for us. Can we attend to our personal practice in a way that that's where we're speaking from? No. And, and I would say to you, uh, the way you're in the room, the way you're available, the way you can be present and accepting for whatever's happening, And and your trust in that and your capacity to attend to that and come from that are extraordinarily important. You know. You may say something very simple from a very subtle place and that could have an extraordinary effect. You may, some, may, something, may say something very intelligent and sophisticated from <laughs> <laughs> your head. And, and, and even though it's exquisitely accurate, uh, um, it may not register you know, who we are, how we connect to each other, body to body, heart to heart, it's extraordinarily important. Okay. So let's take a break.